There was a a three year old three year old boy who felt really secure in his uh, father's care. He was in his arms as they were in a swimming pool, and he was actually in the shallow end, but yet the water still would have been over his head. Uh, but his father is holding him, him and, and he feels just fine. And all of a sudden, the father feels like having a little bit of playful fun with this little three-year-old. And he walks out a little bit further. And he goes a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And the water is rising higher, even on the child a little bit. And all of a sudden, his face becomes very worried, very concerned as he sees that his father is going out into the deep water. And his father is easily touching the bottom. No problem at all. He knows exactly what he's doing. The little boy is analyzing the situation. I'm sure he's saying, I'm going to analyze the situation. I do not care for this. But he realized that uh, hey, this water is, is, is scary. And the thing is, it would have been over his head. But back when he started, the water would have been over his head in the shallow end, being a three-year-old boy. And so he would have... But he was being held up in the shallow end. And he was being held up as he got out into the deep end. And the Father is holding him just the way that he had been earlier. Uh, His whole safety depended upon his dad depended totally upon his father because he couldn't swim. And had his father let him go, he would have drowned. But he was not going to do that. And I think at various points in our own lives, we become the same way. We feel feel so much that we're getting out into the depths, out into the deeps, and there's problems all around. And we begin to wonder, you know, what's what's going to happen here? We, We lose... Something. Uh, someone dies. Uh, we lose a job. We become concerned about the things that are happening and going on uh, around in the world. Problems all around. And our temptation is to panic, just like that little boy out in out in the deeps, as the father is holding him up, just as he had. Uh, well, the the truth is, just as that child was in that pool, the truth is, is We've never been in control in the most valuable things of life. We don't control those things. But yet we think we do when things are going just fine and things are going good. But we've always been held up by the grace of God, whether it be the shallow end or the deep end. He's always holding us up. He is the Father. And the Father does not change. God is never out of out of his depths, is he? Therefore, we're always safe when we're going deeper in our walks, deeper than we've ever been before. I've never been here before. I don't know what's coming up. I don't know how to take this. You know what? In our scripture today, and I'll have you guys stand up, in Philippians 1 6, as we read God's word. Here's the answer, and the key word is confidence, or confident in our Father. Look in chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day 
of Christ Jesus. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your promises. And bear it upon our hearts today as we go through just this tiny, powerful verse that it would make an impact in our lives and how we trust You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. One verse today. One verse. One of our favorite verses. I've got a feeling all of you somewhere along the line have memorized this verse. And if you haven't, you should. I'm confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Wow. Now, last week, we saw that in verses 3-5, through that Paul was very thankful for the Philippians. He was very joyful in his prayer. Remember that? And uh, this whole, actually, letter is about joy. That's the theme here. And so he remembered them. And he remembered how things got started. And he remembered the participation or fellowship that they had with him in the ministry of the Gospel. And he couldn't help but just break out in joy as he prayed to God for these Philippian believers. And uh, that sets us up for verse 6. How does he have this kind of confidence at verse 6? says. The joy that he has, we've already seen this, and this confidence comes from the fact that God is at work amongst His people. He's always at work. He's doing it all the time. And Paul is just resting assured. I mean, assurance of the believer is all over the, the place right here, isn't it? He knows that God's salvation is doing its thing. God is doing it by His sovereign grace. That's what salvation is. All by sovereign grace. And it continues on through that. He's at work building you up, each and every one of you. Anybody who's trusted in Jesus Christ, whether it feels like it or not, whether it seems like it, He is building you up. Now, it goes a lot smoother for us if we've been in His Word and we've been in prayer and we've been in fellowship. We've been taking the Gospel out to people and serving and such, right? But as we stand before the throne of grace we can understand that He is in the work of perfecting this. And this is all about what God is doing. Uh, there's a monergism-type uh, work that happened in salvation, and there's a monergism even in our sanctification. Even though we cooperate in that too, there's a synergism too, but it's still God who is doing this work, and it's all for His glory. Um, salvation was planned by God. Planned before the foundation of the earth. Salvation is executed by God through Jesus Christ at the cross and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives at that proper time and uh, the completion of salvation is going to be there. It's God's responsibility. He will make sure. He will be certain about this. Completion. Finish. And that's what verse 6 is about. Matter of fact, in God's eyes, it's already accomplished. I can think of Romans 8, verse 29 and 30, where we see that we have already been glorified. In God's eyes, we have been. We await that day. We look forward to that. Matter of fact, that's probably one of the most pressing issues in our lives. I can't wait till I get glorified. Totally without sin. I think this is probably one of the most known verses in the Bible, as there are many in Philippians, that this is a great verse to have. The, uh, the key word, as I said, is, is confident here. Paul is confident, also in work, but 
The reason I say that is he is so persuaded. He is so for certain. He is so for sure, without a doubt, absolutely convinced that God, who started that work, is going to finish it. And so because of this word right here, we can say without a doubt in my own life, this is what's going to happen. So let's start out in verse 6. For I am confident, we just said what that word is, of this very thing, that he who began a good work, began is um, a word that is in Archimai, it means something like to inaugurate, to, to start. It's actually related to salvation here. If we looked in a book just before Philippians, Galatians, Galatians and Ephesians, then Philippians, Galatians 3.3, 3, we see this same thought, this same kind of word here. Are you so foolish? Remember the Galatian letter? You foolish Galatians. Here he calls them foolish again. Having begun by the Spirit. Having begun. Having been inaugurated the salvation. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? If, if this was all started by God and God's Holy Spirit, do you perfect it out in your own work then? Does it depend upon you? You're foolish if you think of that. Is what he's saying. The word literally here uh, can mean inaugurate, begun in the Spirit. He says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be made perfect by the flesh? It's uh, in the tense of a decisive tense, a deliberate act that he who began, he deliberately did that. Uh, In other words, God at some time in your history has deliberately and completely saved you, do you think that you're going to accomplish it and complete it and perfect it by your own efforts? Boy, that goes against the grain of much of the works-based salvation that is offered. Yeah, He started it, but you have to do this and have to do that. Well, certainly we are to be obedient. But here he's impressing on the fact of what God does. It's not our own efforts that's going to make it there. It's all God doing it. And as we rest in that and as we are obedient, God has begun that work. The God who inaugurated that work will bring your salvation to completion. Now, I, I will keep repeating this all the way through this. This is going to sound repetitious. I know. We're only doing one verse. But I want to bring this out as full-blown as I possibly can. And then even I'm going to be far short of what it means. But I want this to be impressed upon our hearts even more so. We know the outworking of this. We know what the end is going to be. But we're saying, yeah, but right now I'm going through one of the hardest times in my life. Yeah. Understand. But I'll tell you what. God is working in you right now. He's using that. Now, Paul will be thinking a work of God. And he could think of the first one who was saved um, in that ministry at Philippi. Lydia. Great illustration. Look, don't you ever forget that salvation was never begun by you. Don't, don't forget that. You didn't start it. It was inaugurated. It was started by God. Holy Spirit came... God opened the heart of Lydia. And you know what? 
she's not the only one. Everybody who's a Christian had their heart opened by God. That's the only way that we can even understand who God is and desire to follow Him, to worship Him, to have our sins forgiven, to repent, to believe, all of those things. The only way that can happen is God come in and open that heart. To open the heart. And if you're sure that God has opened your heart, you can be sure that God's going to perfect that. Let's go back to Acts 16 just for a moment, just to remind us. We uh, probably mention this every week, but I think it needs to be stressed. A woman named Lydia, verse 14, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, but she was not yet a Christian, a believer yet. She knew about God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Things finally burst out into real meaning for the first time she became a believer. Uh, If we look in John 6, verse 44, yeah, we're talking about predestination and election, uh, all of those valuable things because that's what verse 6 is impressing upon us here, what God does. John 6, 44, John was was definitely a predestinarian. John was uh, what would be known later as an Augustinian. John would be uh, a Calvinist. John actually was Johnine. And to be honest with you, he was really a Christian who believed God's Word. <laughs> and um, But he, he wrote these things by the power of God's Spirit. He knew this. Verse 44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. They're brought to Him by God, and it goes all the way up to our resurrection, our glorification in that sense. Um, Philippians 1.29, the very book that we are in. Just going over some verses that uh, are good to be reminded of to uh, each one of us. We know these so much, but it's great to look back at, even though you say, hey, I know these things. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. To you Philippians. These are the guys that we're studying now. about Not only to believe in Him. It's been granted to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Well, they were doing that. They were suffering. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You're seeing this happening in me? Hey, listen. Uh, don't get down about it. Don't get depressed. Because I want to tell you something. Um, God is, is working a work here. Uh, it's granted to you to suffer. It's granted to you to believe, right? He he grants, he gives belief to us. Wow. Uh, chapter two, verse thirteen, same book, Philippians. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He didn't need to do that, but He did it because He wanted to. It's for His own pleasure that He works this great work to save us and to keep us saved. John chapter 1, verse 12. We could have gone back there earlier when we were in John, but um, it's all over the place in John. Verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Now remember, belief is granted to us, right? who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not our own will, but of God. We are born of God. 
happen to be there in the book of John, by the way, we're having, I'll give a plug, an advertisement right here in a message. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're having a great, great uh, worships. And we're in the book of John. And uh, it's been quite a blessing. And uh, we invite all of you to come if you get the opportunity. It's uh, been quite, uh, quite eye-opening as we understand more things about Christ. Anyway, did you see that? Born of Him. John does that a lot. <laughs> Speaks of it a lot. Now let's look in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 11. And we just see what God does to us. This is what happened to us. Chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they've heard about the preaching of the, the Gospel here, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Wow. First of all, it goes to the Jews, right? To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It's gone to the Jews. And as a whole, they didn't receive Him, but there were certain individuals who did. As a nation, they didn't. But, and they hear this and they're saying, Oh, wow! God has not only opened it up to the Jews, but look, he, He's done it to the Gentiles. So it doesn't just come by inheritance, by being in a family and uh, of a race. But He granted repentance. Now what have we seen in Philippians 1.29? He granted faith. He granted repentance. We didn't even have any of that. Isn't this beautiful? Talking about the work of God. For I am confident of this very thing. The God who began a good work in you. He began it. He gets all the glory, doesn't He? All glory to Him. That's what they're doing here. When they heard this, they quieted down. I'm surprised they got quiet. You would think they got loud. (laughs) They quieted down. But they might have gotten loud because all of a sudden they're glorifying God. (laughs) And then they say that statement. Wow, that's amazing. Um, It kind of reminds me of Acts thirteen forty eight, same same chapter isn't or well, two chapters more. When the Gentiles heard this, talking about salvation now coming and, and the light coming to them, they began rejoicing. Do you ever rejoice when you hear God's word and glorifying? What they glorify? The word of the Lord. They glorified the word. They they just heard this as a promise. Oh wow! Well, we never knew this, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life at that time. Believed. God opened their heart. They believed. As many as God had appointed. There was a divine appointment at that time. And they believed the Word. They became saved. Look in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Very familiar verses, but boy, these sure brighten up the day as we have brightened uh, sunshine out there today and blue skies, isn't it great? Just makes um, the worship uh, seem like it's even more enhancing, but we can worship no matter what. It could be raining and stormy, and it's kind of nice to have a beautiful day like today. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, whenever He appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, 
but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration. That's not a water baptism. We're talking about an inward work here, folks. Not some baby getting baptized. That, that doesn't get it. It's talking about hearing the Word of God and glorifying it and realize that you've been appointed to, to, to eternal life. It's not a matter of being dunked into the water as a baby or a 6-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 55-year-old. That shows that you have become a believer if you're one who has believed the Word. I actually believe in a believer's baptism because all throughout Acts, that's what you're going to see. That's what you see consistently through here. But the washing of regeneration is the work of the Spirit of God in somebody and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As a matter of fact, in the next verse, he shows that he, he speaks confidently with all this. That's a key word for us today. Look in James 1.18. Precious, precious verses, aren't they? James 1.18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth Look at this. He brought us forth in the exercise of His will versus our will, because our will doesn't want Him. But He says here, His will. He brought us forth. He made us be born again by the Word of truth, the Gospel. Saving truth of the Word of God so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. The exercise of His will. Brought forth by the Word of truth, the Word of God. Anyway, it's a work of God. God works out His eternal plan. God always initiates this plan. It comes from His grace and not our performance. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. There aren't just a few verses that deal with this doctrine of election, are there? There are a lot of verses. It's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, you name it. About any book, you can see the sovereign grace here. Ephesians 2, which so many people love to proclaim and read. Uh, in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Does a dead person respond if you go up to him and kick him and say, Come on, come on, get up, get up. Does he get up? He can't. He's dead. doesn't matter if he's dead for an hour, dead for a minute, dead for three days. He's dead. Dead is dead. And that's what we were spiritually. And then we look at that famous section starting at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the faith that's granted. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. If you go up to heaven and you're at the throne of grace and, and He were to say, so what have you done to enter into My kingdom? What would you say? Absolutely nothing. Say, well, I, I, I believe the Word of God. I, I, I trusted in You. I, I, I taught Your Word. I, I preached Your Word. It doesn't mean anything. No. It's all by His grace, right? 
We can't boast about anything. For we are His workmanship. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so there it is. There's the works where it comes in. After you become saved, now you can do good works that are presentable for this this gracious God. God prepared beforehand so that we walk in them. He's already prepared our lives, the works that we're going to deal with, the service, all that. He's already prepared that for us. Hmm. What a guy. He made us alive. He's done all this. Another one, Colossians 2.13. Some of these verses you can say, oh yeah, I'm familiar with all those. Some of you can say, oh, I forgot about that verse. It's refreshing. When you were dead, just like our Ephesians, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, spiritually, He made you alive together with Him. He made you alive. (laughs) He made you alive together with Him who is alive, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Isn't that great to know? Transgressions. Our sins have been cast away as far as the east is from the west. You are forgiven. It's been canceled out. No longer ever to have that held against you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, right? He's not saying that faith is not important, that repentance is not important, but we know where that's come from. He's not saying that your living is not important and all the works and the acts that you do. He's not saying that that's not important. What he is saying, and he's emphasizing this here in Philippians 1.6, that he initialized all of this. It's God's grace from beginning all the way to the end. So the people who believe they can lose their salvation, which is probably about half of the denominations of the church today, which I can't understand, and they say they're biblical, and with all these scriptures that we're dealing with, and many, 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 many more, they say you can lose your salvation. Yes, He starts to work, but you have to stay obedient. You may choose to walk off the path and turn away from Him. Well, if you're truly in Him, will you do that? Well, you might... You, in your own efforts, could try and you can get off the path, but what's He going to do? He's a good shepherd. He's going to bring you back on the path every time. Maybe down the road a bit. might let you go out there, but He's got the hook, the shepherd's hook, and He'll bring you back in. And He'll use all that for His glory and you're good. So He might as well be obedient and trust in Him and keep doing the desire that He has and that way that hook that comes around your neck won't hurt so much. Philippians, Paul says, I can look at you and I can be joyful. I know you're going to be persecuted. And I know you're going to have some test. And I know you're still going to sin. And I know that the evil one is prowling around trying to devour someone there in Philippi. Trying to devour all of you. And I'm not there. I'm in jail. But you know what? I can be joyful. I am really joyful and I'm thankful. And you know what? Philippians 1.6 here, as he writes, I'm confident. I am so absolutely sure that God is going to bring this to its culmination. God is working in you. His work is the foundation of your security. We, we see it right here in, in Philippians 1.6. His work is our foundation. We can stand on that and be sure it's not going to sink. What a work of glory. I think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Sounds familiar. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new what creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
We're new creations. We've been changed. Second Peter one four. Well, if this one doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Look at this. For by these He has granted to us, He's gifted to us, His precious and magnificent promises. They're precious. Are they precious to you? Are they magnificent? So that by them you may become, look at this, partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We've escaped that position. He granted all this. Now, we go back to our Philippians. And he says, For I am confident of this very thing that he who began, what? A good work. A good work. Yeah, well, it's good. Yeah, that's, that's a good work that he's... It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really good. This word agathon is noble. Noble. Uh, it's fit for the enjoyment of God. It's good to Him. Not only is it good for us, it's good to Him. He enjoys this. This is what He loves to do. He loves to save the ones He's chosen and then perfect in them to, to that final day. It's a blessed work. It's a noble work. It's an excellent work. What a work He's doing. I mean, it's perfect work that He's doing. It's God's grace. See, at one time, we did not want to commune with God. We did not want to fellowship with Him. We did not want those kind of things, but God's grace worked in us. And now we do want to commune with God. One one thing is we love to be with God's people and we love to worship Him. But we love to do that individually, with groups. And so, you know, that kind of... uh, thing that God has done, it makes us want to enjoy God. I mean, He enjoys doing this thing and then He wants us to enjoy Him. One time I didn't want to glorify God because it was about me, it was about my life, it was what I wanted to do, it was about my music. What kind of glory was that? It really wasn't. But then, you see that there's a change there and you find out the glory is all Him. And I want to commune with Him forever, give Him glory forever. So, a good work. Would you say it's a good work? Well, that's one thing that God has done. He started the salvation. He began that good work, as it says. And then it says He will perfect it. He is perfecting now. Not only did He begin it, but He's continuing on doing this. Because in Romans 5.10, by the way, He is the high priest and a priest intercedes for the people. He is the bridge. The priest is the go-between between God and man. Uh, we don't need any man-priest today. We have the priest who has fulfilled the work, who has already done it and completed it. That priest is Jesus Christ. The high priest is Jesus Christ, folks. Romans 5.10, look at this. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. He made us right with Him through the death of His Son. And then he says much more. He says, check this out. Having been reconciled, that's amazing enough, he says, we shall be saved by His life. Now, there there can be two meanings of that. And I'll, I'll... I'll hit on both of those. One of them, Martin Lloyd-Jones presents, and I think there's definitely good truth to that. When we were in Romans 5, I presented it this way, as long as we we see that it extends. But he's saying, 
uh, he, he lived a perfect life. You know, when He was here on earth, He lived that perfect life. And we are now in Him and the works that He's done is because of Christ. Right? And those works are very important. Uh, he lived a perfect life. But we also have to go on with that and say also, and most will interpret as, He is interceding right now for us. His life that He is now as being glorified in the sense that He has been taken out of this earth, He still lives on. And what is He doing? He ever lives to make intercession for us. I think of 1 John 1, nine and all around that area in the new chapter 2 where He is our, uh, our lawyer for the defense. And uh, He intercedes for us. So, uh, we're saved. We are continuing to be saved by His life. Now, this is a process. It's sanctification. We've looked at justification in the first part of what He's already done. He's justified us. But we keep trusting in the workman. We are His workmanship. We trust in Him. He's doing surgery on us. He's doing microsurgery in us, in, in our hearts. And He's changing our taste. All of the taste buds that we have for spiritual things, He is doing more and more of an operation there where we desire Him even more. And say, boy, yeah, about five years ago, I, I love the Lord and everything, but... Uh, his word even means more to me now. I, I can't get enough of His word. I can't get enough of it. He causes you to desire Him. He causes you to want to please Him. What does Philippians two thirteen say? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. He's doing this work in us because it pleases Him. But we must look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, you've done that, not as in my presence only, you do it even when I'm not here. (laughs) But now much more in my absence while I'm gone. Work out your salvation. The salvation you already have. Work it out. And obviously He doesn't say, work for your salvation. Somebody would say, well, see, there it is. See, you have to work for your salvation. No, He didn't say that. Work it out. You already have that. Work it out. With fear and trembling. Because God is in there and He's working in you. Now you work it out and you make it show fruit. Salvation starts the process of sanctification. We're justified and then we're sanctified. This work is being done now. But it's not right now that we're perfect. That's the thing. We are justified. We are sanctified. But it's not going to be finished here. He continues to keep working on us. This life is filled with its peaks, valleys and hills. and On the mountaintop, boom, we go back down. That's what life is. You can say, boy, it sure does. I feel like this Christian life is very enjoyable sometimes. You know, look at what I have to go through. Um, it's not a continual experience of perfection. Somebody becomes a Christian, I mean, they, it's almost like they're on a spiritual high and they expect to be there for the rest of their lives. Well, 
we should be even more excited, more joyful all the time. Never take that joy away. But there's going to be things in our lives that are going to be hard and, and tough. But we are being set apart no matter what is going on. John Newton, who wrote that song, Amazing Grace, and we sang some of those words this morning. John Newton uh, wrote, a, I think, what's in very poetic language here. He had quite a rough exterior, had quite a rough, rough life before he became a Christian. I want to tell you. Here's what he wrote later after God's amazing grace came in. I am not what I ought to be. Oh, how imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor the evil in me. And I would cleave to that which is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon I will put off with mortality both sin and imperfection. But though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was. A slave to sin and Satan. And so therefore, I can hardly join with the Apostle Paul and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can we all agree with that? Did you know he had been a slave? Did you know also on the boats, he was, the, he was one that was responsible for shipping the slaves over. And then he found out what it was like to be a slave. And then he saw he was a slave of Satan. And then he later became a slave of Christ. I am not what I hope to be, would like to be, ought to be. I'm not perfect. I'd sure like to be there. Don't, doesn't that pound all the time? Oh, if I didn't have to battle with the sin and all the things that come up against me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What a plan God has. That's what's happening in our Christian lives. You can say, oh, that's what's happening. I feel like I'm in turbulence, but do you mean God is working this? Yeah, that's right. William Hendrickson put it like this. God is not like men. He's not like men who conduct experiments. But God carries out a plan. God never does anything by halves. God always is perfect. Knows exactly what He's doing. What a workman He is. Romans 8. Everybody knows 28. Let's start there. Oh, this might be one of my favorite sections. All the Bible. But verse 27 has got to be read too. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints. We have Christ interceding for us. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray, which seems like about most of the time. Oh, Lord, and I start groaning and I can't think of any words to say. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's saying, I'll back off. I'll do it for you. I can say it like that. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And when we're not praying to the will of God, guess who is? Holy Spirit. Now, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Remember those, that work that God is doing? It's a good work. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Here we go. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become what? Conformed to the 
image of His Son. Well, there it is. That's what He's doing. You want to sum it up? What's happening? What's happening in your lives? He's conforming you to the person of Christ. That's why Christ, uh, when we look at Him and in His life, uh, He suffered much. All the way to the point of death. No pain, no gain. Conformed to the image of Christ. Why? And here's the most glorious part of this verse. That He would be the firstborn or preeminent one. Preeminent among many brethren. That's us. That He would be preeminent. That He would be supreme among us. Is He supreme in your life? That is what life is about. Because that's what God's doing. He's making Christ more palatable. He becomes more beautiful as you see who He really is because you are being conformed to the very image of Christ. Is that exciting or what? So then you have to go to a great verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. By the way, I stopped there in the, the chain, the golden chain of redemption. You can't believe that, can you, that I'd stop right there? <laughs> Because that's what's happening now. We know at the end of the chain glorification, that's what we're shooting for in this verse in Philippians. But Second Corinthians 3.18, here's what's happening now. But we all, that's us, with all unveiled face, it's taken away now, we, we can see, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We don't see it very good. This mirror is like a, a bronze and... And that's not like the glass mirrors that we have today where we have a, a, a really clear look. But we're beholding in there and we're seeing some things that we haven't seen before and we're seeing spiritually. Jonathan Edwards talked about it very much about seeing Christ. You know, it's one thing to, to know Christ and, and about Him. But when you start seeing those things, and I'm not saying seeing visibly with these eyes, but seeing spiritually... Beholding, that's what we're doing. As in a mirror, what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. Or seeing the supremacy of Jesus Christ. How important and how valuable He is. Look what's happening. The more we see how valuable and supreme He is, this sounds like John 1, the very first verse there, doesn't it? Verse 2 verse that we've been talking about on, 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 uh, on Wednesdays. See? And if you like this part, huh? look at that. The glory of the Lord. We're beholding this, the glory of the Lord. What's happening? We are being transformed into the same image. From glory, glory, to glory, to glory, to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Oh, wow. We're being transformed right now. Right now, if you're really getting into this Word, God's Word and the Holy Spirit, despite the fact that I'm not delivering it as strong as I would love to and I'd love to have the poetic type words that would come into your heart, God's Spirit can do that though. And He would make you recognize that you are being changed even this very moment as you are understanding His Word. That's why I fear and tremble when I come up and present His Word because if it's not presented correctly and rightly, then it's not going to make the impact not only in my life, but your lives. And my desire is, just like Paul, to be joyful that your lives would be changing 
Because we're not perfect and we need to be changed and we need to have sin taken out of our lives that's not glorifying God. And as we are obedient and checking this word out, that's what happens. And that's how we start to look like Christ. In Galatians 2.20. He's already started that journey on us. Galatians 2.20. We're doing famous verses here today. Everybody ought to know. Therefore, what? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm being transformed. Christ is living in me. And the life which I now live, right right now in the present, in, in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Simple, profound. He loved me. He gave Himself up. That's a sacrifice. A sacrificial sacrifice. Christ. I now live in the flesh as Jesus Christ is in me. As I live right here on this earth, what power has been done in my life? How could I have once lived like I did and now I have no desire for that life you guys recognize that? No matter what I used to do, look at the power that came in me and look at the power that is changing me right now and will continue. Now, that brings us to point number three. This is an easy outline this week, isn't it? Here's what He once did. Here's what He's doing now. And here's what He's going to do. And this is what makes us tick as Christians. Man, if we saw not the light at the end of the tunnel, we would say, well, what's the use of all this then? What is? What am I doing here? Well, <laughs> Paul tells us here in this short little verse. I mean, he gives us, it gives us the, almost like the Gospel right here. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God began that work and He's doing it now. He'll perfect it. Epitaleo. Epa really expounds upon this teleo. It's a compound Greek word which means something like really come to the finish. Remember when Jesus said teleos, teleo, that same kind of Greek word. It is finished. It's completed. It's done. There's nothing else to do. It reached its final end, its final culmination. And here He's now saying it really hit the max. Okay? really perfected in you will really perfected can't go any further with that Uh, his arm is not too short that it cannot save his hand is not laid low in paralysis of death that he cannot perfect your salvation well what a wonderful thing that is to know as children of God the ones who have been born of the spirit of God They will never be left in an unfinished work. And we can look at ourselves and say, boy, there's a train wreck here. But yet, you know what? He's going to gather all this together. He's doing it now, but one of these days it's going to come together perfectly. What our God starts, He finishes. 
This is a great God, man. You know, I mean, when you see a puzzle, you can say, I don't see how this thing can ever be finished by me. This, you know, it's a 1,500 pieces of those little things, you know, and they're all seem like the same color. You ever done one of those? Like, I can't finish this, and you walk off. And then you see that about a week later, and you, ah, oh, no way, I don't want to do that. Listen, He leaves no unfinished puzzles. I've tried, I used to try to write songs. I gave up on it because I had different ideas. Oh, maybe this would work, you know, and I'll put that in there. And, oh, no, maybe this ought to go in there, you know. And I'd have a great start, you know, the music to it would be really good and sound good and everything, but I couldn't put the words to it the way that I wanted. And it, you just take the paper. These days you don't even do it, you know, it's on the computer and you don't waste paper, you know, go in the trash and, you know. And I'd never have a song, it'd be unfinished. Hey, he finishes. Doesn't that bring you confidence? Paul knew this. He didn't see it happen yet. It hadn't happened to him yet, but he he was so confident. Um, if I can call it God's initiative, can we also say it's His finitive? I don't know if that's in Webster's or not. I doubt it. But the confident assurance, it is going to be finished. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, oh, I'd love to proclaim to those brothers in Christ that are true brothers in Christ who would argue that you can lose your salvation. Where do they get off on saying that? What do they do with these passages? And yet they'll say, yeah, but in the book of Hebrews... There's warnings there. Yeah, there sure are. There are warnings. Could be the third use of the law for Christians. Or it could mean that, uh, you know, those are people who were not believers ever. They teetered, tottered, and proclaimed, but their lives were never changed. Uh Yeah, they're not going to have a finished salvation because it never started. So we look at these texts and we look at these verses, and I say they're very convincing. You can say, Dennis, yeah, you're just putting a bunch of verses up there and, and uh, you're just trying to tie that all together. Uh, it's not just me doing it. Um, this is done uh, throughout the Word of God and uh, you will see many, many faithful teachers of the Bible who came to that conclusion too. And all throughout church history. And uh, definitely the Scripture writers. Do you think He would have gone to the cross if it couldn't be finished? He knew it was finished. Because He said it. It is finished. Whatever He starts, He finishes. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is He who calls you who also will do it. Ooh. Do you like that verse? I'll say it again because I don't think I put it down on my outline, but I really like that. I haven't used that one very much. Faithful is He who calls you who also will do it. He's faithful. He called you and He's so faithful that He's going to do it. First Thessalonians 5.24 I have another one here. This comes out of the Corinthians. Remember Corinthians? Not too many months back. God shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 Blameless. 
Romans 8.29, we read that those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. They will be. John 17.24, which is that great intercessory prayer that Jesus said for the saints. Father, I desire. Here's what I really have pleasure about. I really, really have this desire. That they also whom You have given Me, all the ones whom You've given Me, all those ones that come to You because of the drawing power that You have, and and You gave to Me, uh, I desire that they be with Me. This is my desire. And I know it's Your desire, Lord, and I know it's the Holy Spirit's desire that You all work together where I am so that they may see my glory which You have given Me for You loved Me before the foundation of the world. He prayed for us that we would be with Him so that we'd see His glory. Uh, Wow. It's all all by His glory, isn't it? Glory, glory. Wow. John 6, 37. Uh, We didn't do that. We did verse 44. But since we're all dealing with this, it comes back to what He's going to do too. What He starts, what He's going to do. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me All that the Father gives me, every one of those, every one of those persons that are given by the Father to Christ will come to me. I have no doubt about it. When Jesus has no doubt about it, He's confident, guess what? And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. What about that losing salvation? What about that? All those guys, they're wrong. And it's not my righteous understanding of this. The Scriptures are far too clear. How can they say that? How can they say that? That's what I ask them. I've asked them for years. But in Hebrews... <laughs> you can decide to walk away. That's usually what they come up with. I'll say, can you show me that verse? Then we'll go back to these verses and say, we still have to answer these. I can answer your verses, but can you answer the verses I just gave you? I'm really hard on that because it's all about God's character. It's not about me keeping salvation. It's about God's nature and His character. I think that's really important. You know what I mean? God's promise. He finishes what He starts. He will not only not forsake you as we are promised even in the Old Testament, but that one day He will perfect you. What would you think if He just left us like this for the rest of eternity? We're righteous before Him. We're forgiven. And that's it. (laughs) Oh, please, Lord, I want to be like Christ. I want to be glorified too where I can see Him as He really is. Yeah, well, He's going to do that. F.B. Meyer gave a great example on this. um, About an artist's studio. We go into an artist's studio and we find there unfinished pictures covering large canvas that suggest great designs but which have been left either because of because the genius was not competent to complete the work or because paralysis laid the hand low in death. But as we go into God's great workshop, His studio, we find nothing that bears the mark of haste of insufficiency of power to finish. 
And we are sure that the work which His grace has begun, the arm of His strength will complete. Ah, man, this Philippians 1.6 is incredible. I think of artwork and the artist and I think of Julia and I think you probably finished most of your work but have you ever not finished and sometimes because you got a great start but I just can't quite get there and it just kind of stays unfinished and it drives you crazy doesn't it had to have somebody else come along because I was telling on myself I couldn't complete a song <laughs> but she finishes a lot of her work you have to see some of it. Anyway. John 10 28 about the shepherd oh this is John again we've been all over John today haven't we John 10 John 17 John what 6 oh John 6 is beautiful oh John 10.28 Yeah, we've been talking about predestination today and election. God's sovereign grace. Verse 26. 10.26 We'll start there. But you do not believe, you Pharisees, because you're not of my sheep. You don't believe because you, you never were my sheep. The Father never gave you to me. That's kind of what He's saying. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. And here we go. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Oh, wow. Do you see that? They will never... This is the Word of God. This is not Dennis speaking here, guys. I'm just reading this. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. That's Jesus' hand. That's pretty good protection. How about double protection? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Amen? My case is closed. The Father speaks. And if somebody wants to argue with that, they can go all day as they want. But they are going up against the Father's and the Son's Word and the Holy Spirit's conviction. It's all over the place, folks. What power? The God who saved you by His power will keep you by His power. And that's the basis of the security of the believer. You should have assurance because of the security that He has given us. We can be confident. Ephesians 3.20 We're about ready to close this up here. Ephesians 3.20 says... Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's all for His glory. Look at this power. And Philippians here says, until the day of Christ Jesus. We know of the day of the Lord and most often I think when we think of the day of the Lord we think of the Old Testament thought there which is dealing with judgment. It's dealing with judgment of the sin of mankind. He will pour out His wrath upon uh, sinners. Divine judgment will happen. The day of the Lord. But there's a day of Christ Jesus. That is for us. 
That's not His wrath coming down. There's no condemnation for believers. But it speaks of a day when believers become perfect. It speaks of a day when we will be glorified, rewarded in Philippians 1.10 so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Same thing. Chapter 2, verse 16. Paul uses it again. Until that day of Christ. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or dwell in vain. The day of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, We are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end. Blameless, here it comes, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be blameless. We'll be rewarded. We will be glorified whenever we see the day of Christ. There is nothing to be worried about. Our sin has been taken care of. We want to fear the Lord, have an awesome a thought of who He is and reverent relationship with Him, but realize we are going to be glorified and that's why it's all worth it. That's why we do what we do. We have that continuing on. For if all this is, is all there is and there's no resurrection, we are people to be pitied. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. The joy of anticipation. That's what makes it worth it all. In the words of Jude, you got to like this. Ready? Now to Him who is able, there's a power word, to keep you from stumbling. He'll keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from stumbling to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy. God's going to get you there. He's going to get us all there, folks. The Lord's going to bring the church to its fulfillment. Is that marvelous? Why not enjoy the process? We're in the process now. The sanctification. What a joy it is as we look forward to that joy. Sure, we're not all we're supposed to be, as Newton said. This isn't the place for perfect people. It's a hospital. There's surgery being done. We're sick. We're not dead for believers, but we have sickness. And we know what the cure is. God is the great sculptor. He takes this granite, and it's so hard. takes this granite, and He sees the work of art that He's going to do with this hard granite. And His promise is this. One day, He'll bring it out perfectly. Apostle Paul here is saying, one day, you will be fully, finally perfected in that day of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul could only imagine what was going to happen. He's like in the same state that we are. But he was certain of this. In the last day, Christ comes back. That work that He's already started in you, and He's doing, the Apostle Paul was absolutely sure, without a doubt, confident. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.